Good morning and welcome to our worship for Sunday the 20th of March. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Let us worship him. Our Heavenly Father, who made our world and all that's in it, who sustains it every moment, we give you thanks for the beauty of springtime, filled with its promise of longer, warmer, brighter days. Birdsong and blossom seem to tell us of the possibility of new life, new life for our own souls. Spring speaks to us of beginning again, of renewal and new beauty that can come and refurbish our lives. Lord Jesus, may that transformation begin in us now as we sit before you here in your presence, penitent and expectant. Lord, we contemplate your willingness to go to the cross, your love that took you there. We acknowledge that there is so little in us that is lovable. Forgive us that so often we are not lovely in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. And yet, as your redeemed children, you still love us. Your love neither ebbs or flows. It's a love that never wearies. It's constant year after year, age after age. There's nothing we can do today to make you love us more than you already do. Nothing that can make you love us any less. So, Lord, we come just as we are, simply with hearts that are open and longing for that love to be poured in. With bright skies above us, gardens and fields beginning to burst into life and beauty, our hearts proclaim the praise of our King. Reign over us in our inmost hearts, healing sorrow and pain and frustration and defeat and despair. Lord, turn our lives around. Restore unto us our faith, our hope, our joy, and grant to our spirits refreshment and rest and peace today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our reading today is taken from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, 19 to 30, and then a few verses, verses 1 to 3 in chapter 13. Let us hear the word of God. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. 
and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And may God bless to us this reading of his word. The story of the beginnings of Christianity in Ireland is the story of a missional church. From its very beginning we have the remarkable story of St Patrick bringing the gospel to a people who had a culture and a language that, were, that weren't initially his own. And then from its earliest days the early Celtic church itself became a sending church with a vision beyond itself, a big picture of what God was doing in the world. Trained evangelists, trained teachers being sent out to other parts of the British Isles and to continental Europe. It's a story that almost reads like a con continuation of the book of Acts of the Apostles. And in many ways it was. It's still important to remember that the story of our church is part of that something much bigger. God's great redemptive drama which our church can be a part of, no less than the churches that we read about in the book of Acts. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ being spread to all nations. We're thinking today about that very important characteristic of a healthy church, sending. Tony Merida in his book, Love Your Church, says if a church isn't sending, it's ending. The church in Antioch was a very significant one in the book of Acts. Antioch was the third most important city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. Alexandria. It was located about 300 miles to the north of Jerusalem. And today its ruins lie near to the Turkish city of Antakya, not too far from the Syrian city of Aleppo, which I'm sure we've all heard of. But the size and the location of Antioch weren't the, the only things that made this congregation strategic for the spread of the gospel. Our passage today reveals to us that there were other things about this church that make it a good model for other churches to follow in being missional. 
Maybe it inspired the early Celtic Christians in their centres of learning and sending of missionaries. And maybe it can inspire us too. The first remarkable thing about Antioch was that it was a welcoming church in a number of different ways. If you read the little snapshot of the leadership team in Antioch in the first verses of chapter 13, you find that there were prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, who was a Cypriot Jewish believer. There was Simeon called Niger, whose name means black or dark. Many believe that he came from Africa. There was Lucius from North Africa. There was Manian, who was Jewish nobility, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And there was Saul, a Jewish academic from modern-day southern Turkey. What an impressive and diverse leadership team there was in this church in Antioch. Presumably that leadership reflected a diverse membership in the church. And in the city of Antioch, that in itself would have been a powerful statement. This church would have been somewhere that every citizen of Antioch could have said, that's somewhere I could see myself belonging. They would have seen that whatever these people have to share, well, it's good news not just for one particular tribe or group, but it's good news for everyone, everywhere. We read that some from Cyprus and North Africa were coming and telling the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ to Gentiles as well as to Jews. And the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. People coming to faith in Christ whose background and history and heritage was very different from the Jewish believers who initially had gathered in Jerusalem, uh, had, had gathered from Jerusalem Uh, fleeing persecution to Antioch. But they were welcomed with open arms, just like everyone else. Church history might have been very, very different if it hadn't have been for that welcome. Imagine if these non-Jewish Christians had somehow been kept on the periphery, had an arm's length in the church, left uninvolved. Imagine if they had been expected to adapt first Uh, first to the ways and the customs of the culture of the Jerusalem church. Where would that have left us Gentiles today? Antioch was a place of welcome for all. And that was of key importance to the message of the gospel being good news for all the world. Is that what people see in us? Do all kinds of people, young and old, from all different backgrounds, look in into our church and say, well, that's somewhere I could feel I belong. That's somewhere I could fit in. That's somewhere where I would not just be on the periphery, but somewhere where I would be at the heart of the life of that church. Another thing that makes me reflect on the welcoming nature of this church in Antioch is how they received this man called Saul. Saul, you may remember before his conversion, was the leader of a campaign of violence and repression against Christians. He was the very reason why many of the members of this church were in Antioch, having fled hundreds of miles from their home. And yet we read that at the invitation of Barnabas, they welcome him now as a brother in Christ into their community to be on their leadership team, 
charged with teaching and discipling them in the ways of Jesus. That's incredible. That's grace. Grace is also part of welcome. And that leads us on to the second thing that made this church such a, a strategic launch pad for mission in the world. That it was a community of learning. When we read about that diverse and gifted team of leaders in the church in Antioch, we've got to realise that it wasn't always like that. At the beginning, this was a church without leaders. It was really struggling to find people to fill those leadership roles. Doesn't that sound familiar? These Christians had been pushed out of Jerusalem. They grew in number as they spread the good news among fellow Jews. And later, as others came and joined them, they told the good news also to Gentiles. Many people were told were turning to the Lord and news of this growth reached the church at Jerusalem who wanted to do what they could to support what was happening in Antioch. And so they sent one person, just one person, one of their best people, Barnabas. Just one person to give some leadership and encouragement to the believers there in Antioch, encouraging them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. You might have thought, well, what more could you want? A nice, welcoming, worshipping, serving, witnessing congregation who now have their own minister. Would God have been satisfied if that had been all that had happened in Antioch? Well, no, he wasn't. And we see that Barnabas wasn't consent, content to leave it like that. Barnabas brings Saul into the picture. And the two of them met with the church and taught great numbers of people so that the church became established as people grew in their faith. For a whole year, the two of them just taught and trained and made disciples of Jesus. This was a learning community and out of learning communities come leaders. Obviously, the other leaders mentioned in chapter 13 were identified from within this community where they were welcomed and where they, where they were fed and nurtured, maturing into teachers and prophets through involvement with the church. That is God's intention for us as a church. It's not enough that we're, we're just on the books of the church, so to speak. God wants us to be involved at the heart of things, learning together to be disciples of Jesus, growing in spiritual maturity. It's no accident that, that it was here in Antioch that believers first came to be called Christians. Within this culture of discipleship, they came to identify so much with Jesus that people began to call them literally little Christ Christians. Church is so important to God's mission in the world that's so high up on his agenda and church is a learning community places where we learn to grow to be more like Jesus this missional church in Antioch was not only welcoming of all but it was also a community dedicated to learning and to discipleship out of which came leaders and out of which some of its best people were sent new churches were planted New churches grew 
and they sent out other people to plant and establish other churches. And so it went on. Finally, another key element here, that uh, another key element that made this church missional was its outward looking nature. Outreach was a key part of their life together. When I was a, a student, I helped out a bit at a recording studio over, over in East Belfast that ran from an old bomb shelter. The concrete walls of that studio were, were so thick that no noise got in from outside. It was very suitable for, for recording. There were no windows for people to see in. And there was one heavy, inconspicuous door to get in and out. Its whole design and its construction was to keep everything on the outside, outside. And to keep everything inside safe. Do we have a bomb shelter mentality when it comes to church? Do we wait around hoping beyond hope that someone might just stumble upon the way in and join us in our safe and sheltered little world? Or are we more like the church in Antioch that looked out beyond its walls, engaging with others of all backgrounds, with a concern as well for the bigger church of which they were just a, a little part? In this passage, we find that the believers in Antioch shone whenever something happened. A major problem hit the Roman Empire, famine. We read that someone named Agabus prophesied among them that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. The believers heeded this prophecy. They could have discussed amongst themselves and decided, look, let's, let's react to this. Let's hoard as much as we can now in preparation. Let's reevaluate our investment opportunities here. Or they could have said, well, we've got plenty. We should be okay. It shouldn't really affect us much here in, in prosperous Antioch. But instead they said, Look, this is relevant to us. It's relevant to us because our fellow Christians living 300 miles to the south are vulnerable. For them, this might present problems. Let's give. Let's give out of what we have. And so we read that each of them contributed to a collection that was taken by Paul and Barnabas to the church in Jerusalem. They saw that church extended beyond the walls of their own congregation there in Antioch. We can confidently say that even if there may be a small church community in Antioch today, the bigger church of which they were a small part has grown enormously, encompassing people of every nation on earth, they had that big picture in mind. Do we? The church in Antioch, welcoming, learning, sharing, sending. What about the church on the Malone Road in 2022? Ah, but you might say interest is waning. Younger generations just aren't interested anymore. Times are changing. Well, let me leave you with some statistics that I heard just this week. A survey conducted by the BBC only last year showing first of all that, that young people surveyed were, were more than twice as likely 
as over 55s to pray regularly. Young people, 18 to 34, more than twice as likely as over 55s to pray regularly. Does that surprise you? And secondly, that 49% of 18 to 34 year olds surveyed attend a place of worship every month. 49%. And that's compared to 16% of the over 55s. Doesn't that challenge our assumptions? There is a harvest out there to be reaped. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Amen. Let us now bring to God our prayers for one another and our prayers for our world. Let's pray. Lord, your heart is a heart for mission. You sent your only Son to us for mission. And we are reflecting your very nature, following in the footsteps of our Saviour when we send or when we go. Help us, Lord, to be a missional church, not simply content to maintain things the way that they are and let numbers decline but to pray and to give and to grow and to go and to send and to bring the good news of the Lord Jesus to those around us. Lord, raise up workers from among us to be sent into your harvest fields, whether they be near or far. Lord, today we lift up before you the people of Mozambique affected by yet another powerful cyclone. We pray, Lord, for your comfort and protect, protection, as well as healing and peace for those recovering from trauma. We pray for wisdom and energy for the local authorities, NGOs and church partners as they respond to the crisis. Lord, remove any barriers to aid getting through, such as heavy flooding, and protect these people from further storms, we pray. We continue to remember the people of Ukraine today and we ask you, Lord, to bring comfort and safety and provision to everyone caught up in this conflict. We pray for wisdom and for calm and compassion for leaders on both sides and that the church in this region will be a force for peace and have the resources that they need to help those in need. Lord, we pray for an immediate end to this conflict and for lasting peace. We pray for the UK government as this week it announces its energy plans. At a very trying time, Lord, we pray that alternatives might be found to simply increasing UK oil and gas production. Lord, may there be increased spending on renewables instead. We pray, Lord, that you would guide our government through the challenge faced by households as cost of living increases and also the impact of climate change on our global neighbours. Give them wisdom, Lord, in walking that path. We pray, Lord, for all of those who are sick. 
for those recovering from surgery or from illness. We pray for strength and healing. For those who are in care, Lord, give your comfort and surround them with your love. For those struggling with mental illness or loneliness, fears or addictions, Lord, we pray for your peace and your hope and your deliverance. For those in the valley of grief, Lord, we pray for your companionship and your comfort and your gracious provision and restoration. Hear our prayers. In Christ's name. Amen. And now may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you this day and forevermore. Amen.